This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Good morning. Happy New Year. Yeah. With this in-between time, Christmas, and now we look forward to the New Year. I want to start this morning by reading a story. It's called Great Value in Disaster. And it's based upon a Spanish proverb which says, If your house is on fire... Warm yourself by it. (laughs) Thomas Edison's laboratory was virtually destroyed by a fire in December 1914. Now, although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for $238,000 because they were made of concrete and thought to be fireproof. Hmm. Much of Edison's life work went up in spectacular flames that December night. At the height of the fire, Edison's 24-year-old son, Charles, frantically searched for his father among the smoke and debris. He finally found him calmly watching the scene. His face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything, absolutely everything, was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I I didn't know, he said, find her and bring her here. She will never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, There is great value in disaster. All of our mistakes are burned up. Thank God that we can start anew. Three weeks later, Edison managed to deliver his first phonograph. You know, as we come to this time we call the new year, it's a time in which naturally we pause and 
we take stock of our lives. Uh, we look back at our lives and the events of the year that's passed, and we look forward in anticipation of the year that's to come. Now, for some of us, we are absolutely thankful that the year is ending. Maybe some of you that are here this morning. And for others of us, we would just wish the year could go on and on and on. It was a great year. But wherever you are today, I've got good news. God is here with you. God was with you in the year that has passed, and God is going to be with you in the year that's coming. Whether you've had a great year or a bad year, God is moving into the next year with you. I remember 1997. It was a tough year in our family. In 1997, Lori's father died. Lori's grandfather died. Lori's grandmother died. And then Lori's step-grandmother died. That was a tough year for our family. And I can remember New Year's Eve 1997, looking forward to 1998, we gathered at Lori's mother's house and we said, we are going to send off the old year and we're going to look to the new year with hope. We just want this year to end. And I'll never forget, as the clock struck midnight, we had just finished eating a lobster dinner. We wanted to treat ourselves. And we toasted with a glass of champagne. We were ready for 1997 to end. And then there was last year, 2012. Lori and I went out to dinner, one of our favorite places there in Sonoma County. And I remember sitting across a table from her and just looking at her. And I said, Lori, I I don't know what this means, but I'm really sensing in, in my spirit that there's going to be change in 2013 for us. I had no idea. But I entered 2013 with great anticipation. God had quickened my spirit, and I just knew that that something uh, dynamic was going to happen in our lives. And, of course, it did. So we've been on both ends. Couldn't wait for 1997 to end. I couldn't wait for 2013 to begin. This morning... I want to talk to you about the power of perspective and specifically how to enter the new year with confidence. Because what happens in this next year to a great extent has everything to do with our perspective. How we approach the new year, how we approach the the circumstances and the events of the year to come, it, it really has to do with our perspective, how we look at things. And This morning, I want to tell you about a tale of two different perspectives. We're going to find uh, our tale in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles or you're using your electronic device, we're going to be going back and forth in those two chapters, going to be calling your attention to some of the verses. Now, as you know, the, the book of Numbers is named that way because in the book of Numbers, there are two great senses. And 
essentially uh, verses, or excuse me, chapters 1 and 21, uh, there's a census taken. Uh, and then it uh, recounts the wilderness years leading up to the first attempt to enter the promised land. And then you move into the second half of the book and you have a second census. You have a, a second generation and they are repositioned for their eventual entrance into the promised land. So you have essentially a story of two generations that covers nearly 40 years. Uh, chapters 1 through 10, you see great obedience amongst the people. Uh, chapters 11 through 25, uh, we see the people in disobedience. And then as we move on to the end of the book, to chapter 36, we see the, a, a renewed obedience uh, in the lives of the people. And so the events that we're talking about here in the book of Numbers happen about a little over a year, 14 months or so after uh, their exodus from Egypt. Now, in Numbers 13, 1 through 3, it says that the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent out from the desert of Paran all of them who were leaders of the Israelites. Now, this was the land that the Lord had promised by covenant to give uh, to the ancestors of of the great Jewish patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the promised land. Now, in 1325 through 30, they come back. The 12 spies come back. And at the end of 40 days in which they were exploring the land, and in that 40 days they actually traveled about 500 miles. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israel community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We saw descendants of Anak there, and the Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, they live in the hill country. And the, the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. And so here you have ten of the twelve spies come back, and they report that the land is just as God had promised. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But they also report of the peoples that live in that land and of the fortified cities and of how formidable those people are. And so they report that God's word is true, that the land is just as God had promised. But they doubt. They don't believe that the Israelites could possibly enter the land. The twelve spies maintained one of two perspectives. Ten of the twelve held what I call a limited view of God. Now, what, what's a limited view of God? A limited view of God is, is looking at your circumstances and at God in terms of what God hasn't done, what God isn't doing, 
in what God isn't going to do. A limited view results from failing to acknowledge God's presence and obeying His Word. It's projecting our human limitations on God's promises. It's seeing through eyes of fear. And that's exactly what ten of the twelve spies were doing. They were projecting their human limitations upon God and His promises. Now, a limited view focuses on the problem or the circumstance. In 13, 31 through 33, it says, But the men who had gone up with Him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim and the descendants of Anak who come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. We look the same to them. Now what they're referring to were the the men who were very large. They were giants. They lived uh, before the flood. We read about them in Genesis chapter 6. But you see, they were focusing on the problem rather than focusing on the promise of God. Uh, it reminds me of a, of a great story if you're a college football fan. Uh, nearly 80 years ago, the, the great Newt Rockne, who was coach of Notre Dame, uh, was taking his team up against the top-ranked USC Trojans. It was a great rivalry that continues to this day. And in that particular year, USC was undefeated, they had great talent, and they were heavily favored over the fighting Irish. So, Newt Rockney goes out and he recruits dozens of men from the city and the, and the surrounding area. And they're all over six foot. They're all over 300 pounds. None of them are football players, and yet he dresses them in Notre Dame uniforms. In the afternoon of the game, he has those men lead his team out onto the field. Now, none of those men actually ever played in the game. They just stood on the sidelines. But what happened to the number one ranked favorite USC team? All they saw were these massive football players in Notre Dame uniforms standing on the sideline. And that afternoon, they fell to defeat. You see, they had lost the game before it ever started because they focused on the challenge, on the problem, on the, on the size of their opponent rather than remembering their own talent, their own ability, their own giftedness. They literally forgot who they were. And that led to defeat. And so we see a limited view focuses on problems. We also see that a limited view produces an ungrateful and rebellious spirit. Look at verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. It says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and they wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness... 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taking us plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us if we just went back to Egypt? We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then in 14.11, the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have performed? And so clearly the report of 10 of the 12 spies led to a limited view of God that produced an ungrateful heart. And here we see them complaining and murmuring, wanting new leadership. They had a rebellious spirit. And we see in this limited view a lack of trust. Complaining. Disobedience. And ultimately, idolatry. All because they failed. They failed to see the greatness of their God. They failed to grab a hold of the promise that God had had made to their forefathers that He wanted to fulfill in their generation and in their lifetime. Well, ultimately we see that the, the limited view of God that they had led for them to disappointment and ultimately death. Numbers 14, verses 22 to 23. None of those, the Lord says, who saw my glory in the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to give. Not one has treated me, excuse me, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see the land. Verses 36 and 37 of chapter 14. So, the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land, were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. And of course, we know that the rest of that generation, everyone from age 20 and older, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb and Moses, were to die in the wilderness and never, ever enter the land. Of course, Moses himself ultimately was not allowed to enter because of his disobedience. And so we see a tragic scene in which the limited view of God that these people had led to great disappointment. And ultimately, they died in the wilderness. And I have to share with you in my own life, there are times when when I look at my circumstances, I look at the challenges that I face in my life, and perhaps you do in your lives, and sometimes they loom greater than the promise of God. They loom greater than the greatness of our God. It's as if we put our hand out, and it's very easy to do on a sunny day. You can put your hand out and and actually block your view of the sun. And sometimes in our lives when we we come to adversity or or challenges or uncertainty, it's as if we, we put our spiritual hand out and we block our view of God. And ultimately, for us, for me, it ends in disappointment. Now, the people died in the, in the wilderness, but for us, there can be death. What do I mean by that? 
The next time you go by a cemetery, I want you to remember that cemeteries are monuments to potential. I want you to think about all the dreams that are buried there, all the books never written, all the scientific discoveries never made, all of the vacations or trips or exploration that never occurred. Think of all the potential that's buried with people. And when we look at our circumstances, when we look at challenges in life, uh, when we look to the new year ahead, and uh, we look at a limited view of God, there's a part of us, there's a part of our potential that dies. And God doesn't want that for us. God doesn't want that for us as individuals. God doesn't want that for us as a church. We want to look to the year ahead with a different perspective than 10 of the 12 spies had. Now, Joshua and Caleb, they held a limitless view of God. Now, what's a limitless view of God? A limitless view of God is looking at God in terms of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. A limitless view of God acknowledges His presence and obeys His word. It projects God's power on our human limitations. It's living life. It's seeing our world through eyes of faith. And Joshua and Caleb clearly had a limitless view of God. A limitless view of God focuses on possibilities. Let's look here at chapter 14, verses 6 through 9. Joshua and Caleb who were among those who explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire assembly, now the reason they're tearing their clothes, in this day when a, when a person tore their clothes, it was a sign of great anguish. They were in anguish at the response of the people to the report of ten of the spies. And so they're literally before the people, as they're hearing them grumbling and complaining and rebellion, they're tearing their clothes. They're in great despair. And this is what they say. The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, Do not be afraid of them. Clearly, they had a limitless view of God. Clearly, that view of God focused on the possibilities and focused on God who is greater than their adversaries in the land. A limitless view of God produces a reverence when we really realize who our God is. And we remember His mighty works on our behalf even as they must have looked back to the Exodus and God's provision in the wilderness for them, they knew God would make good on His promises. And that produces a reverence and awe of God. And that reverence results in trust, commitment, obedience, and hope. And hope in the biblical sense isn't, oh, I hope something's going to happen. Hope literally means the certainty that something will happen. The certainty that something will happen. 
Joshua and Caleb held a limitless view of God. And because of that, they had a hope that was literally a certainty that God was going to deliver on His promise regardless of the size or the strength of the opposition that they were facing. They had a limitless view of God. How many of you are familiar with George Danzig? Anybody you know George Danzig? Well, George was a graduate student in mathematics in the 1930s. And here's how the story goes. He was studying all night long for a test. And he overslept. And he got to one of his classes late. And while he was in class, he saw on the board three mathematic equations. Two of them were actually theorems. And he wrote them down thinking that they were homework assignments. He took them home and he worked on them. He solved all three. He went to his professor's office and he turned in his homework and left. Well, unbeknownst to George, two of the three equations were mathematic problems that had never been proven or solved. Even the great Einstein himself hadn't been able to solve them. He didn't know that. He thought they were homework assignments. So he did the one problem and then worked on the other two. Well, one morning, he was awoken by a pounding on his door. It was a Sunday morning. That was his professor. Literally saying, George, do you, do you know what you've done? Well, no, not really. He said, your homework assignment that you turned in? Well, yeah. He says, two of those problems had never been solved by the greatest mathematic minds in the world, and you solved them. And George re- reports it was then he had knew that he had done something significant. Well, when it came to getting his Ph.D., his professor said, you know what, just put the two problems in a binder and turn them in, you've passed. (laughs) Well, why? Because he focused on the possibility. Because he had no idea, no one had told him that two of the problems were unsolvable. So George Danzig went on to solve them. And he himself had quite a distinguished career as a professor of mathematics at at Stanford. And in 1975, he was awarded the National Medal of Science by President Gerald Ford, a man who knew the possibilities and chose to accept them. Finally, a, a limitless view leads to, to satisfaction. You know, there's, there's something satisfying when we believe God when we recognize His presence in our life, when we accept Him at His Word, and when we move ahead and, and we, we face the trials of life, the struggles of life, the, the circumstances that we encounter, we do so in obedience to His Word. It produces in us a great satisfaction. And it produces a, a triumph, a spiritual triumph. And each of us has that opportunity as we approach the new year. Each of us has the opportunity to choose among two perspectives. The perspective of the ten spies, a limited perspective view of God, or the perspective of Joshua and Caleb, a limitless view of God. In Numbers 14, 24, it says, But because, this is the Lord speaking, my servant Caleb 
has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land in which he went, and his descendants will inherit it. And if you read on in 1438, it says this, Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. And they were amongst the next generation that we read about in the end of the book of Numbers. They gathered again and prepared to enter the land. Now, what does this mean for us? It means that as the new year approaches, we have a a great opportunity for a reset in our lives. No matter what's gone on in the year that's passed, we have a choice to make about how we're going to engage the year that's to come. And, And I would suggest that we would do best if we engaged it with a limitless view of God. A view of God that enhances our faith. A view of God that gives us hope. Now, now, how can we do that? I, I want to give you a little assignment. That as you leave here and you go home in the days between now and the stroke of midnight, if you would do this. It's called going to your faith vista. It's a, it's a term I coined some years ago. Now, let me tell you what that means. It means going to a place in which you survey the spiritual land of your life. It's a, it's, a, it's a high place in which you're able to have a panoramic view. And, and it's a faith vista because you, you look back at your past. And you look to see where God has been at work. And you acknowledge and you thank Him for the things that He's done to get you to this place. And then you, you look where you are. The present. And you look to see where God is at work and where He's present right now in your life. And because God was at work in your past and you you recognize and you thank Him that He's at work in your present, you look to the future, you, you project to the future, God with you. Whatever awaits you in the new year, whatever awaits you in the future, from your, your faith vista, you survey the land, even as Joshua and Caleb surveyed the land, and you survey it with a limitless view of God, because you know that regardless of what you're going to encounter, regardless of the circumstances you face, your God is faithful, and your faithful God is with you. God is greater than anything you're going to face in the year ahead. And so from our faith vista, we look back, we see God at work in our past, we acknowledge God at work in our present, and we look ahead. And we see God who is faithful to take us into the future. This morning as the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you to make a decision. To make a decision of how you want to enter this new year as an individual and as a church, as a congregation. And I want to encourage you to enter the new year with a limitless view of God. God is with you. God is with us as we move ahead. Now, maybe you've seen giants in the land and maybe you've had a tough year. And maybe before coming in here, you've thought... The year ahead doesn't look much better. Today is the day of the great reset. And I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, if you want someone just to to pray with you and pray you into the new year and, and encourage you with that limitless view of God, 
a view that brings increasing faith, that you'd come up during our worship time or come back during our worship time. I'll be there. There'll be members of our prayer team. We want to pray with you, and we want to encourage you as we move into 2014 together.